Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. Call InventHelp today for free information. InventHelp can submit your invention to companies who are interested in receiving new ideas. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-3719. That's 1-800-352-3719. This is Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. I am your host, Vincent Hill, of course, coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia. And can you believe it? If my math is correct, we're about 12 days from Christmas. 12 days from Christmas. And I'm going to use the word Christmas because we're in an age now where people are so easily offended by certain words and all of this stuff. And they want to say the word holiday. But me, I'm going to use the word Christmas because A, I'm a Christian. B, I know the actual meaning of Christmas. It has nothing to do with presents. It has to do with the man that came down to earth that died for my sins because I make quite a bit of them. He died for my sins so that I may have a chance to get into heaven. And regardless of what I get on that day, Christmas, I celebrate the birth of Christ. And speaking of gifts, if you're anything like me, For those of you that actually celebrate Christmas and go out and buy gifts, you probably haven't even started your Christmas shopping. Maybe I'm one of the ones who waits to the last minute. I do it every year. Uh, I wait to the last minute to go out and do this Christmas shopping. But really, truthfully, I only have two people to buy gifts for. My son, who lives with me, he's easy. And my daughter, who's 21, who if I give her money, she's going to be happy because she can go buy Whatever she wants to buy. So guess what I'm giving her? (laughs) Money. And my son, he's probably going to get a new TV. His TV's kind of old. It's kind of small. He's really, really giving me 100% this school year. I think he's deserving of a new TV. So I'll probably go out, get him a 40-inch TV, and let him put it in his room. And probably a few other things. Again, he's he's really, really giving me 100% this school year and I couldn't ask for anything more out of him and what I'm getting for myself. Boy, I can't wait. I'm going on a cruise. Now this past October, my son and I were supposed to go on a cruise, but it got canceled because of hurricane Matthew. But on the 23rd, just in a few days, which means I got to get my abs, right? Got to get the crunches going. And just a few days I'll be sailing out of Miami going to Nassau, Bahamas. I can't wait. I've checked the weather. It's going to be 80 degrees. It's about 35, 40 degrees average here in Atlanta lately. So I'm looking forward to the sunshine. I'm looking forward to the much-needed vacation because anybody that knows me knows I went really, really hard in 2016. Hey, I started Beyond the Badge in 2016. Thanks to you, it's blown up to this great phenomenon that just keeps growing. I was all over the country on Fox News and all of these other networks. 
I was on the local news. I was on radio. Right now, Vincent Hill is tired. It's been a very, very blessed year for sure because there's a lot of stuff I've accomplished this year that people said I would never accomplish. A lot of appearances people said I would never do. Some unexpected appearances like, you know, Maury Povich. And, you know, not for the whole baby daddy thing, but the true crime caught on tape. I did the Crime Watch Daily about the Steve McNair case that I wrote some books about. So there was a lot of unexpected blessings this year. But along with that, there was a lot of unexpected long days, long nights, long hours, and I need a vacation. So I, I, I cannot wait until December 23rd, getting on the plane, flying to Miami, getting on that cruise ship. And it, I don't care if it's Hurricane Matthew, his mama, his daddy, his cousin, whoever. It better not be a hurricane because two months ago, I couldn't go on a cruise. But you best believe, come hell or high water, I will be sailing out to the Bahamas on December 23rd. Can't wait. And speaking of my son... For the last three or four days, he's been at home hacking his brains out, body aches, all that stuff, the flim-flam in the chest. He has the daggone flu. And my son, at 15, you know, tries to be, oh, I'm Mr. Independent, oh, I don't need my dad, yada, yada, yada. But we're in the store this weekend, this past weekend, we're getting medicine, we're in Kroger's, and he starts leaning on me, talking about, oh, Dad, I don't feel good. And, of course, I really can't afford to get sick. I don't have time for downtime between my day job, which keeps me busy 10 hours a day, this podcast, which I love, which is my passion, my TV, which is my passion. I can't afford to be sick. So I'm like, son, get off me. I love you, but get off me. So, of course... I've been doing the Theraflu with them, the orange juice, the vitamin C, the soup, the chicken noodle soup, and all of these things. Hopefully, he'll be better soon because it sucks when your child is sick. It really sucks for guys because we all know we act like little babies when we're sick. But I'm praying for a speedy recovery for my son who is down with the flu right now. Now, let's get into what this show is about and why you're actually listening because I know you don't care about my vacation and my sick son and my Christmas shopping, all that stuff. This is beyond the badge. And of course, we talk about police issues. So on last Wednesday, I got a call from CBS 46 here in Atlanta. There was a courthouse shooting, officer involved shooting. They wanted me to come in and talk about it. And they wanted me in studio live at five o'clock, live at five o'clock. You want me, Vince Hill, to talk live on TV, no retakes, no nothing about a police shooting. Cool. So, of course, I get there. I'm, I'm watching the video. I'm going over it. Uh, of course, uh, the individual that was shot was black. He was shot in the butt. Or to steal a line from the movie in Training Day when Denzel got shot, he shot me in the ass. He got shot in the buttocks, the gluteus maximus, or whatever you want to call it, the anus, penis in your anus. He got shot in the butt. But apparently there was a struggle. He was tased first, and then somehow he was shot. Of course, it's caught on cell phone video. And, of course, people are saying, oh, it didn't have to go down that way. So here's the breakdown, and I'll get to the whole thing in a second. And 
I love Sharon Reed to death. She was the anchor, the reporter from CBS 46, who I was on set with, and we were going over it, and I love her to death. Off camera, she's a great person. We've hung out. Love her to death. But, of course, she's talking from the point of view of the people. So here's the backdrop. This guy's in court. I think it was child support court or whatever court. I really don't care. Of course, you can't have cell phones because you can't videotape trials. You can't have tablets because you can't videotape record trials. So, of course, the judge or someone asks him, hey, put the tablet away. Guess what he doesn't do? He doesn't put it away. So, guess what? He has now broken the law, so guess what they do? They call the police, right? The courthouse police that are already on scene. One white officer, one black officer. So, they go to extract him out of the courtroom. Now, the first question Sharon asked me was, why not just take the iPad? Why not just do that in the courtroom? Well, there's a lot of people in the courtroom. It could be dangerous. It could be a cluster of people. For officer safety, you don't want to be around that many people, right? Because they could turn on you and do whatever. So she says, well, why not just take the iPad and leave? Well, here's where it gets interesting. You can see them extract him out of the courtroom. You can see him actively resisting arrest. You can see him turn forcefully towards the officer. So at that point, he's a threat. So... As I've said a hundred times, A, you cannot take a 30-second clip and surmise that you know everything that happened, right? The only part that we saw was the point of escalation on this cell phone video. And here's my point to that, and here's what I told Sharon. If he acted like that when the police came, don't you think he was acting like that before they got there? So there really wasn't a point from, hey, sir, please give us the iPad, to, oh, snap, it hit the fan, right? He was already acting like that because he was told to get rid of the iPad. And guess what? He didn't. Therefore, the police were there. So his conduct, his conduct was already there. So then he's actively resisting arrest. And Sharon says, well, is all of this necessary? Was this excessive force? And I explain, as I have on this show a hundred times, the use of force continuum. And how officers respond using the amount of force necessary to affect the arrest based on the suspect's actions. And they do not have to go at any point in the use of force from 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. No. There's nothing in the use of force that says you have to follow all eight steps before you can pull out your weapon or before you can deploy your taser. It's based on the suspect's actions so the suspect you can see him actively resisting at some point the cell phone video was caught after the shooting so we really don't know why the shooting happened we can't really see and again i told sharon hey this is not an open and shut case we can't see what led to the shooting we don't know if he went for the officer's weapon well he was tased well tasers don't always work and again we don't know what happened in this situation. So Sharon says, and again, I love her to death. She said, all of this really vents because of an iPad. All of this because of an iPad. And I clearly said, and that's why I love live TV, because they couldn't cut it out. This had nothing to do with an iPad. It was everything to do. It had everything to do with the suspect's actions. The iPad 
was only the reason the police were there. But the suspect's actions is what led to him being tased and then being shot. God, I love live TV. You can't edit that out. And I think that was the point everyone needed to hear. But more importantly than that, as I'm standing on set and I'm waiting to go live, they're running this promo package. And it's talking about how many officers have been killed in the line of duty this year. How many of those here in Georgia this year? And that one officer, two officers have been shot just hours before this. Two officers have been shot. One died at the scene. The other died, unfortunately, the next day. But yet, I'm sitting here getting questions from a reporter from a people point of view of whether the officers used excessive force. And we all know, in a split second, it can go from zero to a hundred, just like that, with no warning. And I was kind of flabbergasted and taken aback and kind of offended that I was being asked about, oh, was this excessive use of force, although the suspect was resisting. But 30 seconds before, they were talking about an officer who was killed in the line of duty at a domestic. The other officer was shot. The suspect was on the run. And just to update you on that, the suspect was found. He was cornered. Then he killed himself. He took the coward way out, and I can't really say the word I want to say. I've been advised not to, but it starts with a P. He took the coward's way out instead of facing his charges like a man. See, that's the difference between the good guys, a.k.a. the police, and the bad guys, a.k.a. the thugs that shoot at police. See, police don't go out and kill someone in the line of duty because they had no other recourse or even shoot someone in the line of duty because they had no other recourse and then say, you know what? I'm just going to kill myself. Even though I know I'm going to be the subject of a racial investigation, even though I know the DOJ is going to come in and investigate me in my department, even though I know people are going to claim I'm a racist simply because I'm white. And this black guy was not following my commands and not following the law. I'm not going to take the coward's way out and kill myself. Look at Charleston, South Carolina, with Officer Slager, who shot and killed Walter Scott. He was up for murder, but did he take the coward's way out? No, he faced his charges like a man. But you got this guy, who 30 seconds before I'm talking about some knucklehead in a courtroom resisting arrest, you have this guy who shot two police officers, killed one, the other one died, and he takes the coward's way out to kill himself. So as I'm on the, these media outlets talking about the less than 1% of the population of cases where we see what people conceive as excessive force and racial bias and racial inequality, no one is talking about the 15% jump. And I'll say it again, 15%, which is much greater than 1%, jump in officers' deaths in the year of 2016. 137 in 2016, 62 by gunfire, up 72% from last year. So let me say this again. Less than 1% of the population of people who like to resist arrest, fight police, 
end up getting tased, get, getting shot, getting aspartame, whatever. Less than 1% of that population. We want to talk about that for days. We want to protest. We want to march. But the 15% increase in officers' deaths, 62 this year of the 137 by gunfire, up 72% from last year. But nobody wants to talk about that. And I get it. Media outlets have an agenda, which is ratings. It's a ratings game. But that's why I love my friends at RadioInfluence.com because Jerry and Jason give me this platform to say what I need to say for you, the listeners, to actually understand what's really going on in this country. So let's look at what's going on in this country. You have ambush-style attacks on police. And what is an ambush? Oh, they never saw it coming. So back to the guy in the courthouse shooting that I talked about on CBS 46. How do we know that this wasn't a ploy to get those officers to show up, to get them to extract him into the hallway, to have his little buddy waiting to shoot and kill these police officers? We don't know. So this is why police react the way they do. You have officers stopped at traffic stops or even at a red light and people pull up beside them and open fire. You have officers walking up to vehicles and someone reaches out and opens fire. But yet, if an officer walks up to a vehicle with their hand anywhere near their gun, all of a sudden it's racial. The officer not even knowing who's in the car at that exact moment, who is probably thinking, well, I just saw in this city where this officer was killed while walking up to a vehicle, and I'm going to be at least somewhat ready if someone comes out to attack me, but yet the media and those that have no clue of policing will make it racial. A female officer will get beaten to a pulp, her head bashed into the concrete. But yet and still, in this country, according to mainstream media and according to certain activist groups, an unarmed suspect is not a threat to police. Hey, guess what that was? That was Cincinnati police telling someone to get out of a car doing a normal traffic stop. And guess what? Someone drives by and starts firing at police. A normal traffic stop. Remember, nobody knows what's going on. Nobody takes into account what's going on in this country as to why police react the way they do. But they'd be quick to make it racial. But wait, there's more real sound bites. Hey, did you hear that? <laughs> That was a taser. But did you hear what the officer was yelling? Let go of her. Let go of her. That's the female officer in Chicago that was dang near beaten to death by an unarmed suspect. 
who was resisting arrest. So to answer Sharon Reed's question, were police using excessive force? No, they were using the amount of force necessary to effect the arrest to prevent injury, not only to themselves, but to the suspect. However, the suspect continued to not comply, which led to him being tased. Until that point, you heard that taser and that sound bite. He was tased like six or seven times, but he was still beating on the female officer. To all of those who think that they watch one video where one person goes down from a taser, or they watch one movie where one person goes down from a taser, it doesn't always work that way. That is what is going on in America today. That is what police officers in America are dealing with today. They never know when they leave roll call if it will be the last time they see their family, their friends, their parents, their brothers, their sisters, because there's always someone out there, regardless of what you may hear if something happens, because that person may be black, there's always someone out there that doesn't want to go to jail. And listen, it has nothing to do whether the officer is black or white, because God knows I fought enough black suspects that didn't want to go to jail. There's always someone out there that wants to fight you. There's always someone out there that wants to kill you. There's always someone out there that doesn't want to go to jail like this guy in Chicago. And they will do whatever it takes not to go to jail. So if that means they fight you and they beat you almost half to death, that's what they'll do. And if you just happen to be a white officer and the suspect happens to be black, and then you have to use your taser, and after five minutes you're still using your taser, then people are going to say you're racist. But are you racist or are you trying to save your ass? I'm going to go with you're trying to save your ass because I've been there. And believe you me, when I was chasing that carjacking suspect on 16th and Shelby in East Nashville that pulled out a Tech 9 at me, I guarantee you I didn't say, well, damn, I better not pull my gun out because he's a black man. And I dang sure didn't go Obama and say, well, if I had a son, he would look like this guy that has the Tech 9 on me. No, my instinct to protect my rights, my life, and my civil right to protect my life kicked in. And guess what I did? I acted accordingly. And that's what this job is all about. It's not about race. It's not about excessive force. It's not about color. It is about doing what needs to be done to protect and serve the community, to preserve life, even the suspect's life. That's why there is a use of force continuum. That's why it starts with verbal commands and then soft, empty hand control and then hard, empty hand control and then aspartame and pepper spray. It doesn't say, oh, if you pull up to a scene and you ask someone, hey, sir, let me see your license. They refuse. You put a gun in their head and you blow their brains out. No. Why? Because contrary to what pop popular statistics or popular reports would say, the police main objective is to protect and serve and preserve life, even the life of the suspect. And if you don't believe me, look at the shooting of 
the boys in Cincinnati and the officer that just got off, or I won't say got off, the mistrial in Cincinnati. The first thing, the first thing that they did was called for an ambulance. They didn't stand around him and celebrate. They didn't say, oh, we killed us another black guy. They didn't say, oh, he shouldn't have ran over me. Oh, he shouldn't have drugged me in the car. The first thing that they did was called for medical attention. I've been there. I've done that because my job is to protect and to serve even the the suspect that just tried to fight me, that just tried to kill me. It's our job. You know, I, I think my next book and I, I dabbled with this idea and I've talked to a good friend about this idea. I think my next book is going to be about how to deal with the police in the black community. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not going to be a cush. We shall overcome kumbaya moment type book because anybody that knows me knows that is not my style. But I think there is great area of opportunity to teach the black community how to deal with police. I go back to the courthouse shooting that I talked about on CBS 46. And when Sharon Reed said all of this for an iPad, it wasn't the iPad. It was his actions. Michael Brown. It wasn't Officer Darren Wilson. It was Michael Brown's actions. Freddie Gray. It was his actions. I can go on and on and on and on. It was the actions of the suspect, whether you agree with the outcome or not, the actions of the suspect, which led to their death. And you can call it racial, you can call it whatever, but the actions, the actions of the criminal act that caused police to get there, the actions of the escalation, the actions of the resisting arrest, the actions of a weapon, the actions of fleeing arrest, you name it, the actions led to the death, right? So maybe there is great benefit in writing a book about how to deal with police. And it doesn't necessarily, or should it be limited to the black community? Because let's face it, let's be honest, more white men, unarmed white men have been killed by police this year, the year before, the year before, the year before, and the year before. So maybe it's not limited to the black community. But is there great opportunity to go around and teaching people how to deal with police? Absolutely. Because, again, we had politicians that were running for office, that got their butt spanked, that were going around pre preaching and spooing out, police reform is the answer. Police reform is the answer. No, police reform is not the answer. I've said and I've said and I've said and I've said again, crime reform is the answer. And there was a shooting back in June in Charlotte of a black man by Charlotte police officers. He had gone out, robbed or shot someone on the bus, pulled a gun on someone on the bus. I, I, I don't remember. But... Here's what the officer said in his statement to investigators. I got out of the car. I went to about the front bumper of my car and drew my weapon 
and focused on him. I took two or three breaths just to gather myself and steady my aim because anybody that's been in that situation knows you start to get that shake. Not necessarily because you're nervous, because this is what you're trained to do, but because your adrenaline just went from zero to about a thousand. So it's natural that your body's going to shake and do all of this other stuff, right? Now he goes on to say, I remember thinking the whole time, Tyrone, I guess that's his name. If you don't shoot him, you're going to die. Hmm. So the officer... In these few seconds, because I assure you that's how long it took, he took a few deep breaths to make sure he steadied his aim, and he told himself, hey, if I don't shoot you, if I don't shoot this guy, I'm going to die, because guess what? The individual had a gun. Now, what part of police reform in that scenario would have prevented this individual from shooting at police and guess what he did he shot at police hence why he is dead hence why the officers were under review to see if it was justified and guess what the district attorney in Mecklenburg County of Charlotte North Carolina said it was justified because there was that imminent threat against this officer's life so would police reform have stopped this 18 year old individual who happened to be black, would he have, Would it have stopped him from pulling the gun and shooting at police? Because the only people that have to abide by this so-called police reform are the police. It doesn't extend to the bad guys. It's not like the Bloods and the Crips uh, truce that they had, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And there was this truce where you couldn't do this on a certain day and you couldn't do that. It doesn't extend to anyone but the police. So again, police reform is not the answer. Crime reform in this country is the answer. Dealing with police is the answer. Teaching our kids from a very early age not to glorify crime is the answer. Teaching our kids at a very early age not to do crime is the answer. This is how we fix what's going on in this country right now. All right, it's time for roll call, and it's only fitting simply because I talked about this little knucklehead who got shot in the ass, I'm sorry, shot in the buttocks at the courthouse on the same day, just hours after two officers in Georgia were shot. It's only fitting that I honor these two officers uh, during tonight's roll call. And if you want to hear a story of bravery, I'm going to read it, and just bear with me, I'm going to read the whole uh, write-up that's on the officer down memorial page dot org and it will tell you how brave officers are every day and here it goes public safety officer jody smith and police officer nicholas smarr who actually were childhood friends by the way of the america's police department were shot and killed while responding to a domestic violence incident at a local apartment complex at south lee street and country club drive near the Georgia Southwestern State University. Officer Smarr responded to a call of domestic violence at approximately 9.40 a.m. Officer Smith was nearby, responded to back up Officer Smarr. Officer Smith went to the back of the apartment, while Officer Smarr approached the slightly ajar, ajar front door. Officer Smith heard commotion inside, 
called out and entered, which by law he could, where he encountered a male subject along with a woman and child. Unbeknowing to the officers, the male subject had outstanding felony warrants. The man fled out the back door with Officer Smar in pursuit. Hot pursuit. The man shot at the officer, striking both before fleeing the property, despite being wounded. And here is where the act of bravery comes into play. Despite being wounded, Officer Smar returned fire and then ran to Officer Smith, rolled him onto his back and performed CPR until he lost consciousness. When backup officers arrived, they found the wounded officers, again, high school friends, friends from childhood, laying in the backyard with Officer Smar slumped over Officer Smith. Officer Smar died that day from his wounds. Officer Smith died the next day from his wounds. The suspect fled the scene but was found deceased the next day following a SWAT raid on a local residence. Again, he took the coward's way out. He knows nothing about bravery, but these two officers know exactly what it is to be brave. Officer Smar returning fire and then giving CPR to his fallen Conrad before they both lost consciousness. You can't beat that. You can't write that. You can't make that up. You can't write it in a movie. It's real life. I want to thank them for giving the ultimate sacrifice, protecting and serving the people of America's Georgia. Godspeed to their family. Godspeed to their friends. Godspeed to that department there in America's Georgia. America's Georgia. I love you for your service. I love you, my loyal listeners, for listening to Beyond the Badge right here on RadioInfluence.com and available for downloads on iTunes. Thank you and good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. Radio Influence brings you the best in digital media broadcasting. When it comes to sports, we've got experts like national sports radio host Rich Herrera, the fabulous sports babe, and former Major League Baseball manager Kevin Kennedy. Want a good laugh? Then go on the beach with Pants and Roller Girl, or just LOL with Nancy Alexander. And when it comes to real life, Dangerous Conversation with Scott Ledger and Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill will make you think. When it comes to what you want, Radio Influence has you covered. Find our programming on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.